Everybody, welcome, welcome. Before we get started, we're going to have Ronnie come on up to the front and tell us our joke. Ronnie, here he comes. I'm Ronnie. I'm an alcoholic. All right. So an old sea captain walks into a bar. He has a peg leg, an eye patch, and a hook. The captain sits down and orders a drink. The bartender serves it and asks the captain a question. If you don't mind, how did you get that peg leg? I were chasing the white whale, laddie. Dangerous business. Well, how did you get the hook? Yar had me a swashbuckling accident. Wow, well, what about the eye patch? A seagull pooped in my eye. <laughs> what, asked the bartender, how did you lose your eye from seagull poop? Yar, it were my first day with the hook. Welcome to the Fort Lauderdale Primary Purpose Big Book Study Group's Thursday Night Alcoholics and God Speakers Step Series. I'm a recovered alcoholic. My name is Chris. Chris. Thank you all for joining us tonight. In a minute, we're going to start our two-minute meditation. Please take a moment to get situated. Turn off all devices that make noise and that might slash will distract others. Take this time to get connected to God. Let the craziness of the day drift away and ask God to help you stay focused on the step study tonight. Is everybody in and ready? Yes. I heard no, but... Okay. Let's bring, uh, <laughs> bring in the monks, and I'll see everybody in two minutes.
Please join me in the fog light prayer uh, that is printed on one of the screens. There it is, and it's going to be on the light up screens in just a second. Okay. God, let your love shine through me like a fog light so those who are lost, sick, and dying can find your love through me. This is from the big book, page 17. The tremendous fact for every one of us is we have discovered a common solution. We have a way out on which we can absolutely agree and upon which we can join in brotherly and harmonious action. This is the great news this book carries to those who suffer from alcoholism. I have asked Stephanie, she's a friend from out of town, from Pennsylvania, to come up here and read Spiritual Experience. Um, We read this because the main purpose of the 12 Steps is to have one, so it's kind of important to know what one is. Please. Spiritual experience. The term spiritual experience and spiritual awakening are used many times in this book, which, upon careful reading, shows that the personality change sufficient to bring about recovery from alcoholism has manifested itself among us in many different forms. Yet it is true that our first printing gave many readers the impression that these personality changes or religious experiences must be in the nature of sudden and spectacular upheavals. Happily for everyone, this conclusion is erroneous. In the first few chapters, a number of sudden and revolutionary changes are described. Though it is not our intention to create such an impression, many alcoholics have nevertheless concluded that in order to recover, they must acquire an immediate and overwhelming God consciousness, followed at once by a vast change in feeling and outlook. Among our rapidly growing membership of thousands of alcoholics, such transformations, though frequent, are by no means the rule. Most of our experiences are what the psychologist William James calls the educational variety because they develop slowly over a period of time. Quite often, friends of the newcomer are aware of the difference long before he is himself. He finally realizes that he has undergone a profound alteration in his reaction to life, that such a change could hardly have been brought about by himself alone. What often takes place in a few months seldom have been accomplished by years of self-discipline. With few exceptions, our members find that they have tapped an unsuspected inner resource, which they presently identify with their own conception of a power greater than themselves. Most of us think this awareness of a power greater than ourselves is the essence of spiritual experience. Our more religious members call it God consciousness. Most emphatically, we wish to say that any alcoholic capable of honestly facing his problems in the light of our experience, can recover, provided he does not close his mind to all spiritual concepts. He can only be defeated by an attitude of intolerance or belligerent denial. We find that no one need have difficulty with the spirituality of the program. Willingness, honesty, and open-mindedness are the essentials of recovery, but these are indispensable. There is a principle which is a bar against all information, which is proof against all arguments and which cannot fail to keep a man in everlasting ignorance. That principle is contempt prior to investigation. Herbert Spencer. Please refrain from disturbing others by talking or constantly getting up and sitting back down. 
This is a tech-free meeting, so set your phones to airplane meeting mode or just turn them off. And now it is my privilege to introduce our speaker. This is the third week he's been with us. Um, I heard him once tell a story about living on a native reservation carrying a trash bag full of peyote, and from that point on, I was hooked. Uh, he is certainly qualified to speak at Alcoholics Anonymous. Please welcome Doc. Doc Alcoholic, such a privilege to be here, and I so much thank God they wrote it down, you know? I'm glad we don't have to make it up. If you're new here and you have heard sayings passed around in a meeting, I suggest you forget about nine out of ten of those and read what's written in the book. Um, one of the things you might want to go ahead and... and uh, follow is when they say, take what you need and leave the rest, they're not talking about the program, right? You take it all or take nothing, right? It's, it's not a buffet. It is everything 100% or nothing. You may have to try on some of these, like we're going to talk with three, but uh, when they say that, they're talking about me. They're talking about what you hear human beings say. So if I can't give you a page number that I got it out of the big book or the 12 and 12, then it's my understanding, interpretation, experience, or opinion. And that part, you can leave. You know, we don't care if you, you listen to us. But we, we hope to generate enough interest that you'll look it up in the book. Uh, if you think I'm radically incorrect, please look it up in the book. And then come back next week and show me where I'm wrong, and we'll discuss it at dinner, and you'll still be coming to meetings and reading the book, so it's awesome. Um, last week, we, we were on a little bit of a journey, right? We, uh, in step one, we saw that we had often... God, you're so good, Mike. <laughs> I am so into this. This is I'm going to just like... You know, we, we, should just, we should video the whole thing and then just pixelate my face out and, and put that up because there's just too much going on here to just listen to. Um, and for those of you just listening, I'm not going to tell you what's happening. You have to come to the meeting. Uh, I, I, I said that, like, I misread that, and I believe a lot of people do when we get here. Uh, step one, that I admitted I was powerless over my life and that alcohol had become unmanageable, right? <laughs> that all the things that people did to me was out of my control, right? I had nothing to do with that. And uh, yeah, my drinking was a little unmanageable. And actually, when I came here, my thought was to learn how to manage my drinking. I was not planning on being here forever, you know? I didn't think this was a forever thing. I thought it was like, you know, a self-help program, right? Like tennis lessons. You come once a week, you get your lesson, and then pretty soon you, you break off, right? And you just go play by yourself, right? And play with friends. And I thought I would learn how to drink responsibly, like they say on TV. And, uh, you know, because the problem was I just couldn't turn it off, right? I could get it, I could turn, you know, the volume way down, but I just couldn't turn it off. And I wanted to be at a place where I didn't need to be loaded. Right where I didn't wake up with that fear of I have nowhere to get a high today. Right, I am. I am. You know, there's an old song. 
by Commander Cody and the Lost Planet Airmen called Down to Stems and Seeds Again Blues. Right, and that's the, the title says it all, basically. You know, and, and the old timers will tell you about drinking mouthwash, and sterno is something young people don't understand. Yeah? Sterno, mmm, Robert goes, mmm, good glory days, right. Sterno, lighter fluid, kerosene, all of that will get you an alcoholic buzz. In fact, what killed a number of cats on the reservation is some sort of chemical reaction happens if you take a loaf of bread unsliced and cut off the top and bottom and pour kerosene through it. You get some sort of weird chemical reaction and then drink it. It gives you an alcoholic buzz. It, it also causes blindness and, and death. But, but when we wake up and we go, I have nothing, all that's an option, right? <laughs> really. You look and you go, eh, how much booze is in scope? All right. 10%, that's wine, right? It's the same as wine. I can just drink that and have a minty breath afterwards. So I realize that what it says is, no, no, no. It says that that dash doesn't mean anything. And the word that stands for that is to say, or that is, or in another way, that both of those uh, halves of the sentence actually describe the same uh, problem, that I'm powerless over alcohol. That is why my life is unmanageable, and my life is unmanageable because I'm powerless over alcohol. And that unmanageable mean, doesn't mean mismanaged, it means broken, right? Unfixable, unmanageable. And that powerless, uh, as I wrote down here with my friend David, on the way here, I wrote, uh, I wrote a little note that's kind of funny that we don't say we're willingless, but we say we're powerless, right? And, I, and I, I've sadly heard people say that uh, were means that we're not anymore. Yeah, right? I, I'm going to read it right out of the book that says, actually, we are still powerless. And I'm as powerless today as I ever was. Right? I, I am empowered, fully empowered. And that's what this step three is all about. Uh, the more I uh, depend on God, the more independent I am. Right? Crazy. Crazy. But that's, God kind of works in, 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 in uh, paradoxes like that. So we get to two, and we, we, we talked about Plato's cave and, and seeing that everything is absolutely uh, wrong in an alcoholic's understanding of what is real and what isn't real. It's, it's shadows of fake things. It's not even shadows of real things. And, and then eventually someone in front of us is forced out uh, through a, a, a powerful uh, uh, moment of change that Plato talks about where the education begins, right? Some, some violent action starts education. For us, it's hitting our bottom, we hit something that's different for everybody, but we slam into some sort of a wall and go, oh my God, I, I've got to change. I have a very close friend who's a grown man. He was Baker acted uh, Friday night. He, he, he was transferred from one hospital to another. He got out today, right, because of his drinking. And today his reaction was, yeah, I'm okay. 
right? I go, I didn't want to push him because I've known him for 25 years, so he knows me and he knows, he, he knows there's a path to getting sober. But it was like, he doesn't have a problem. His problem was he couldn't get out of that psych ward. Now he's out. Tomorrow's his birthday. Happy birthday, right? Everything's fine now. There's nothing we can do, right? There's nothing. I can't do anything with myself if I'm there. I have to have, it doesn't matter what that moment is that starts the education. For me, that would have probably been it, right? Be a grown man, and uh, not only was he in the psych ward, but everyone he knows was on Facebook talking about it. So it's like, I'm, I'm sure he feels humiliated. But that's not enough, and I, I pray to God something will be enough for him. I'm so grateful I'm in this program. I'm so grateful I have this disease. And if you're new, you won't understand that. But if you've been around a while, you realize that, like, had I not obtained, had I not gotten this disease from you, I would have, because <laughs> I didn't have it when I came in here, but all you sickies passed the germ to me. And then while I was here, I realized, oh, my God, I have a, 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 a disease that'll kill me. And had I not acquired that disease... I would have lived on the fence, right? Not, not having a life so great that I could rejoice in it every morning and not having a life so terrible that I had to do anything to change it. I would just live on the fence, and it sucked, right? So I came in wanting to turn it off. I couldn't turn it off. I wanted to turn it off so that on weekends I could turn it on, run it full blast, get really drunk, Sunday night, turn it off, and have a normal week like a human being. Didn't work like that at all. Because I got to three, and it says, made a decision. Now, so many people get so twisted up in this. And I really think it's, there's a couple clear things we can look at in the big book, and especially the 12 and 12, that'll, that'll make this seem a lot easier. You know, because as, I don't think it's as alcoholics, I think it's as human beings the smarter we are, the more we like to complicate things. And most people in AA are, as the book says, above normal intelligence, right? We're pretty smart people. That's why we survived, and those other people that were getting loaded like us did not, right? We're survivors. We were smart enough to sidestep death many times, right? And so we get here and we go, well, how can I make a decision to turn my will over to God? And I go, what is turning over? Is it over to the care of God or is it over to God? And if I turn it over to God, then who am I? And what I get? Okay. It's so hard. I'm speaking with a protege who said, uh, help me with three so I can help my protege with three. <laughs> That's great. And so we talked it out and it it, it, in, a, in, a, uh, in that rabbinical uh, 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 Socrates-style uh, dialogue. So if you do this, what happens? And he answers. And you go, okay, but if you do that, what happens? And he answers. And then he discovered it himself. But on page 60 in the big book, it just, it just says this, you know, our description of the alcoholic. All right, that's... that's um, Dr. Silkworth. I was going to say Dr. Phil. I don't know why, but it's <laughs> Dr. Silkworth. 
How's that working for you? Our description, right? Our description of the alcoholic, right? It's, it's mind and body, it's an allergy, etc. The chapter to the agnostic, you don't need to swallow this all at once, just can you believe that there is a possibility that there might be someone or something greater than you? And if so, that's a, a start. Uh, and our personal adventures before and after, right? How we were, what happened, and what it's like now, which is meetings and, and the parking lot and dinner. If you're not going to dinner after this thing, you're missing out. It's so much fun. Uh, they make clear three pertinent ideas. Pertinent means, you know, three ideas that absolutely sum up everything we're trying to say. A, that we were alcoholics and could not manage our own lives. There's that word were. It obviously does not mean that we are no longer alcoholics, right? It, they're talking, it's merely a writing style to talk in past tense so that we're not pushing, because Ebby kind of suggested that to, to Bill when he was writing it. One of the things about this book is, is the pre-published manuscript, uh, Bob would write a chapter or parts of a chapter he would send, or I'm sorry, Bill. Bill would send it to Bob. Bob would have glowing reviews about it, right? Lois would read it. She'd love it too. Then he'd bring it to a meeting and they would tear him apart, right? Which is why I would never bring anything I created to a meeting and ask everybody publicly, <laughs> what do you think of this? And if they think it has anything to do with that, have you ever been to a business meeting before? We will argue and grit teeth and fluff our fur over nothing, right? Uh, over nothing. And we will plant our heels in and it's like, I'm not budging. I will not vote for this thing. And, I don't. and then a week later you go, what were we arguing about last uh, business meeting? I don't remember. But I remember I was right. That's what I remember. <laughs> and so they would tear Bill apart. And he would have to rewrite the chapter and rewrite the chapter and rewrite the chapter. Um, when we get down to 6 and 7 and talk about the difference between defects of character and shortcoming, um, there's a story about when they asked Bob, why do, you, why do you use those two different words? A whole lot of this book, he says, I just simply don't remember why. I don't remember how that came out. And that makes perfect sense. Because if you've had 20 rewrites, you don't remember where the final wording comes in on some things. So were is, and I believe deeply, we don't have the traditions up. Okay. It's all right. Don't, don't search for traditions to put on the thing. <laughs> but tradition three, <clears throat> I'm sorry, tradition two, is that God makes himself known through our group conscience. And I believe that 100%. And that is shown in the touch of divinity that is in both the big book and the 12 and 12. So I believe the word were is an important word. But I, I, I spend so much time on it because we are looking for any way out of this. You know? Why do I have to make a decision to turn it over? Let's just get to four. All right, I did three. We'll get to four. We'll slow down there. Three pertinent ideas that we were alcoholic and could not manage our own lives. That's absolutely a fact. That probably no human power 
could have relieved our alcoholism. We're going to prove that in just a minute. That God could and would, if he were sought, in the original, the first edition, it says God can and will, period. Right? And they thought that was a little rough. They didn't want to, they didn't want to scare you smelly drunks off the street, you know. Don't want to scare them with God. Right? They will, they will drink sterno, but I don't want to scare them with God. Right? And that's how we are today. You go, I don't know about this God thing. All right, all right. Mm. Excuse me. Being convinced of A, B, and C, we were at step three, which is that we decided to turn our will and our life over to God as we understand. Then I think, well, just what do they mean? And it's so weird because that's how they write it in the book. The next sentence is, just what do we mean by that? And just what do we do? So it starts with, need to be convinced that any life run on self-will will fail. It's a failure. Any life, not any alcoholic life, any life. Any life, that means your normie husband, your normie wife, your parents, your kids, your boss, your neighbor, the guy driving too slow in front of you, the guy tailgating behind you, right? If they're living a life run on self-will, it's bound to be a failure. And then we wonder, you know, oh, what's wrong with me that I'm so angry with my coworker? Dude, his life is on a path to failure. Often, when they feel that, they speed up. And then their life goes worse, right? And here we are going, I'm working on myself. I'm trying to, you know, be okay. I, I stepped outside. I took a breath. I said a prayer, whatever. I didn't want to get into it with them. And I, I, I spoke to a friend about that very thing today. And I said, you know, all that's in your head. All of that is in your head. None of that actually exists. You getting along with other people is not a real thing. Right? It's not. It's a bunch of decisions you make. It has nothing to do with reality. He goes, well, because it started off, how's your day? Well, I'm frustrated at work. I said, you know, when I hear the word work, I think of my great-grandfather, who, before he could afford a tractor, took an ox and an axe and cleared 40 acres of forest and then plowed it into a farm by himself. And I think, holy moly, man, I couldn't do that stuff. He was a big Dutch dude. He was like, that's where I get my height. And he was funny as hell. He, I never saw him in anything other than bib overalls. Like even at church, he'd put on a jacket over the bib overalls <laughs> and go to church. And later I'd go like, Grandpa, you know that red bandana you have? If we tuck it in here, it's now a pocket square. How's that, right? And so he was all stylish. But he was awesome. He was awesome. And I think, well, that's real work, right? That's work. So my friend said, well, if you're talking about physical stuff. And I said, yeah, that's all we're talking about. Because the mental stuff doesn't exist. It's what you decide it is, right? I got news for you. Kermit the Frog is not real, right? You look at Kermit and you go, that's a real, right? That's a thing, <laughs> right? He's real. 
But like I was watching Jim Hansen with Kermit talking to Arsenio Hall on a, on a, on a clip on YouTube, and Arsenio cannot not duress, direct his questions to the puppet, right? He can't. He keeps trying to look at Jim Hansen, and Kermit goes, yeah, well, and then he looks <laughs> right at the puppet, right? Because in his mind and heart and soul, that thing's real, right? And to us, it's real, right? Batman is real, <laughs> right? No, none of this stuff is real. It's all shadows, Okay, so we get to the 12 and 12. And now here comes some beautiful stuff. All this is going to be about being dependent or independent, right? But we don't know that yet. Because in two, remember, we got on this bridge. We left the, the cave. We get on a bridge. And then the bridge is the bridge of reason. And that takes us, and then there it mentions the God of reason, right? Because we worship all sorts of stuff, um, doesn't matter, I was going to say if you're new, but it doesn't matter if you're new or not. If you're in a relationship of any kind, uh, chances are, you, let's just say you have a great uh, um, possibility of falling into the pit of worshiping your partner like a god, right? And frankly, the better the sex, the more that possibility is, <laughs> right? Because you do, because later you just go... Oh my God, I'm so in love. That's what men say, right? Oh my God, I'm just so in love. And then women go, I think he really loves me, right? And, that's, and then so it becomes this God-like thing. And then when we want, even when we want to break it away, we don't want anyone else worshiping our God, right? It's like, well, that was mine and I gave that God up so nobody should be worshiping that God or it's going to kill me, right? It's crazy. And the book talks about that. We, he goes, I even, he said, I, I did everything but worship science, for instance, right? So the God of reason is this like, this is what will, will uh, determine everything I do today, is my reasoning abilities, which is not bad, but remember, you mix that with self-will, you're still on a road to destruction, whether you're an alcoholic or not, right? All lives, it says. And I'm, either this book is true or it's not. We can't go through and blue pencil what's not right. Because they've had decades to do that, and they haven't. So they've been proven right. And this, this bridge only takes us so far, it says. And then we get to the edge and we see the shore, the spiritual shore, and we can't get there. And that's where we let go and let God, and it takes us over there. So now that we're on this, this shore, uh, uh, this spiritual shore, right? We're willing to see that this problem we have in one is not a physiological problem. There are physiological aspects to it, right? There's a physiological allergy that happens. There's a true physiological craving that happens. But it's not, it's not physiological. And now, I'll show you what it is. If you will put up the slide of the, yeah. Oh, yeah. If you've not seen this, uh... I believe it says copyright 1918, right? And that is, um, I'll think of his name in just a minute. It's on there. Uh, drawn by Clarence Larkin. And Clarence Larkin was a uh, theologian and an engineer. So he made hundreds of diagrams of spiritual concepts. And they're awesome, right? Right? 
So this shows the threefold nature of man. This, by the way, will be my second tattoo. I just got one. And that way, when somebody goes, what are you talking about? I can just rip my shirt open (laughs) and show them right on my chest, right here. Spirit and soul and body, right? So like a seed, and I'm not going to get into this. We'll get into this later. But but like a seed, the body, soma in Greek, there is uh, 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 the body, the flesh of the, the fruit, right? Say an avocado. Then the seed is uh, pneuma. I'm I'm sorry, psyche, which is the soul. And then inside that seed is the germ or the life force. The germ of the seed is what keeps it alive. And that's the spirit or pneuma. Pneuma is also the same uh, word we use for spirit in Greek. Pneuma, pneumatic, for breath, the breath of God into you. Now, our soul is made up, our body, we know what that is. We're pretty familiar with that. Some of us too familiar with it. But we're familiar with what the body is, but the soul kind of eludes us. We have read, in the doctor's opinion, that we need an entire psychic change, but we don't understand what that is unless we know that the Greek word psychic comes from the Greek word psyche, right? And so psyche being soul, a soul is an accumulation of all the, the senses that come in. Now, in our body, the senses are uh, uh, your sight, smell, taste, right? The five known senses and then some others, right? As you see near the bottom there. Then, thank you. Then um, what comes in from the body to the soul is your imagination, your conscience, your memory, your reason, your affections. Then what comes in from your soul to your spirit, there's only one door. You see that? One door. And what blocks that one door? The will. Right? So if I want, that means, if that's blocked, that means the spirit cannot affect the soul, nor the soul of the spirit. Now the soul, the, the, the soul is constantly changing. It is who, what makes me what I am, right? When it says an entire psychic change, it means I need to change who I am. It says a soul sickness, it means that something is wrong with who I essentially am. It's not just my behavior, it's all sorts of stuff. There is no way my body can reach my soul with the body, right? I can't open it up, can't have a surgeon give me a soul transplant right? You can't transplant brains and have the souls move along with it. It doesn't happen, right? Only in in science fiction movies, right? So what's going to cure that soul? The spirit, because the spirit is unaffected, right? So that's why it's so important. Later when he says, yeah, but if I turn my, my, my will over to God, if I put God in charge of what flows from the spirit into my soul, what will become of me? I'll be like the hole in the donut, which I find very ironic, because if you remove the soul from this diagram, you get a hole in a donut, right? It's perfect. Go, oh, yeah, I know what he's talking about. I'll just leave that up while I continue to rant. Um, Practicing step three. Now we're making a decision, okay? Keep in mind that so far it's mentioned a dilemma over and over again. And we know a dilemma is not a problem, nor is it a a multiple choice question. It is a choice between two. You're in or you're out. You're on or you're off. It's all or it's nothing. It's everything or it's nothing, right? 
So our decision is the same thing. It's a dilemma. It's a choice of two. Die. Um, Now we can put up our door, if you would be so kind. Practicing step three, mystic. There's a key. There's a keyhole with some light shining through it. Awesome looking door. We've gone from the shore, the spiritual shore, and we walk up and we find something similar to this. So practicing, actually putting into practice, step three, is like the opening, is like opening of a door, which to all appearances is still closed and locked. Now, this is also another allegory of Plato's cave, right? It's still the same. We're still in a place where we're on a spiritual shore, but we're still on this side of the door. We're still in the unreal area, right? A bridge of reason has brought us here, right? We don't know how we floated over to get here other than by letting go, which was the first step of being able to do step three. All we need is a key. All right, there's a key there. And the decision to swing the door open. And the decision to swing the door open. All right, so what's... And I'm going to get back to this door. You can leave that up. That's great. Um, it's, it, it says along that uh, we didn't have a choice in making this decision. And, and let me find exactly where it says that. Of course, I never will until after I've talked about it, and then it'll pop up. Um, it, says that it, it says that it was circumstances rather than choice, that brought us here, right? I'll find it in a second, or somebody else will find it for me. Right? It says it was circumstances, rather than choice, that brought us into this program, that brought us to step one, step two. It wasn't that we went, you know, like I said last week, I didn't wake up and go, you know, I'm done drinking today. I know what I want to do. I want to go to an AA meeting. Sounds like fun. Right? Like I, I, like I heard someone say in our prayer, thank you for my new friend, my new home. That's beautiful. That's right. We all know each other better than our mamas know us. You know? Because my mom's not an alcoholic. She doesn't know. Right? She doesn't know the horrible past that is now my most precious possession. Right? This is our new home. But I didn't come here out of choice. I came here out of circumstances. Same with three, right? The decision I'm going to make in three has already been made. It's been made by others over and over, right? It's been made by others in front of me. Millions of people have proven that if they do three, that four is the next step. Then there are those that have also proven if you skip three and try to do the rest of the steps, eventually you'll be back at one somehow. And often in, in a, you know, dragged along the pavement to get to one. It won't be pretty, right? It's like baking a cake and deciding on my recipe, if step three is add eggs, I'm not going to add eggs. And then going right through with the rest of the recipe, popping it in the oven, and as a result, I get a baked sludge of batter right? Not a cake. And I wonder, what's wrong with my life? What have I done wrong? 
The decision can only be made by us, it says. But the general decision has been made over and over. It is, again, following rules. For those of you who have ever spent time... For the one or two people in the room who have spent time in jail. That's what I meant to say. <laughs> so, so if you're lying to your sweetheart, you can lean over now and go, he's not talking about me. <laughs> For those few people who have spent time in jail... You make a decision. Either you're going to follow these rules or you're not. You will eventually have to do what they say anyway. But you can decide not to. You can decide not to turn your will, right, that gate, and your whole life over to God. Or you can decide not to. You can decide not to or you can decide to do it. If you decide not to, you're not going to get the results. There'll be circumstances, right? There'll be a... a, a What's the word I'm looking for? Consequences, thank you. Circumstances, consequences. I'm having a Joe Biden moment. I can't think of it. Whatever. I mean, excuse me, I mean, uh, it, was all, it was all red. I'm, I'm sorry, I mean blue. I mean, Jesus Christ. Politicians. There is, here's our dilemma. There is only one key to this door. And it is called willingness. Right? So we're powerless. We're not willingless. Willingness comes from open-mindedness. It's my belief that one comes from the other. I've had a good friend that says he believes open-mindedness comes from willingness. I believe the books kind of say it the other way around, but it doesn't matter. If you do one, you'll generally get the other, right? Chicken or the egg. Um, I believe that because I believe if I say to someone a new idea... You know, hey, have you... Uh, see, I shave with a straight razor, right? The old-fashioned 1800 straight razor. And I keep it right here in my boot. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. Um, and so I only did that because I got frustrated, you know, buying more and more expensive disposable razors, right? Where I finally went like, this is absurd. I'm going back to the... To like how men used to live. And it took like two years of just being an absolute cut up, nicked up ball of flesh, right? <laughs> and then I started getting the hang of it. But if I come to another guy and I go, hey, you, you ought to really try it. it. There is a joy to shaving when it's dangerous, right? <laughs> now, if he's open-minded, he goes, okay, I'll try it. And, and my point is, if he's closed-minded, he says, no way, right? So, Action will follow his, his open-mindedness, right? Does that make sense? If his, if his mind opens up and he goes, hmm, okay, I'll try it. So him saying, him expressing his open-mindedness is he expresses it through a willingness, right? Okay, I'll try it, right? I want you to be happy, joyous, and free. So I'm going to suggest that you actually turn your will, that is, it's nice, right, to have a visualization of what will actually is and where it is in our existence that it's in between our psyche and our pneuma, between our soul and our spirit, right? And I'm going to let God have that so he can open it and close it when he, when he needs to instead of me because my life is unmanageable, right? It's kind of nice. And so I say, if you'll do that, you'll be able to do the rest of these for the rest of your life and have a, a life that's happy, joyous, and free. 
And if you're open-minded, you go, okay, I'll give it a try. Right? So willingness becomes the key. And at meetings we see willingness is the key, but it doesn't say the key to what. So a lot of people, newcomers, think that's the key to sobriety. It's not. Right? It's the key to opening the door. Why, oh why, would God, if, if there's any divine inspiration in these writings, why would he put this door between us and the path? Right? Because what it says is on the other side of the door, it says, and the illustration is great because it has that shiny, happy, golden light coming through the keyhole, right? It says there's, there's one key. It's called willingness, which is a dilemma, by the way. It means you'll either use the key or you won't. The door's either open or it's closed, right? It's a still binary choice system. There's no way around it. It's like there are three keys. You can, one will open it one way and one will open it another way. No, it's a, it's a door. There's one key. Either you choose it or you don't. We're not going to argue about three. Do it or don't. I don't care, right? Stand here or run with us. There's only one key, and it is called willingness. Once unlocked by willingness, the door opens almost of itself. And looking through it, we don't even have to go in, Looking through it, we shall see a pathway. And this is, this is a lifelong pathway, by the way, which is awesome. We shall see a pathway beside which is an inscription. So there's a sign, right? And it says, it even quotes it. It reads, quote, this is the way to a faith that works. Not to sobriety, not to being happy, joyous, and free. To a faith, but to a faith that works, right? We just talked about the God of reason. We talked about the God of a relationship or the God of money or the God of science or the God of of power or position or whatever it is that we want to venerate and worship. And it says, no, 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 those don't work. Why don't they work? Because it's already said, any life run on self-will will fail. Here's a path to a faith that works. So what's faith? It's a relationship, right? It's a relationship. It's an exchange. Uh, The Greek word is agape. It's a love that's like a a continuous band, right? Where you, you feel the love coming into you and you feel the love flowing out of you into this being, right? Whether it's your partner or money or or a power, power greater than yourself, right? Which it says, which is God, or if you wish, see, it's, it's switched it in this step. It says, it is God, or if you wish, a power greater than yourself, right? If you're still a little edgy, it's okay, because on the path, you're going to start seeing some changes, and you're not going to be afraid of this concept any longer, right? So it says, uh, this is the way to a faith that works, in the first couple steps, we were engaged in reflection, right? We looked at ourselves. We saw that we were powerless over alcohol. We also perceived that a faith of some kind, if only in AA itself, is possible to anyone. These conclusions did not require action. They required only acceptance. But now, all the other steps, including three, call for affirmative action. Action with force and weight and depth. Be a verb, not a noun. 
be a verb, not a noun. Right? Live your life. Don't be alive. Right? Don't be alive. Live. For it is only by action that we can cut away the self-will, right? The creepy stuff that's blocking that opening, which has always, weirdly enough, blocked the entry of God. From where? God, can you put that diagram back up? Inside spirit, that tiny little thing in the middle is God. See? See? That's where the, the, the all of faith, hope, reverence, prayer, worship, those are the senses that we have in there. And that flowing of God fills up the spirit. You see it kind of fountains into the soul, then it fountains into the body. But that's where we're blocking God. Not from the outside in, but from the inside out. In the big book it says, that, Bill says, you know, deep down inside every man, woman, and child is the fundamental idea of God. And in the end, we find that's the only place he can be found. It's deep down inside every man, woman, and child. Right? God's, that's why we, we, we encourage going, you know, I respect the God in you. I respect the God in you. I respect the God in you. That's pretty universal among most religions. Right? Is that we all have a little bit of God in us, which is awesome. So we want to, to remove our, our creepy self-will and, and put God will in there, in that, so it's not blocked. It says uh, self-will, which is always blocked, the entry of God, or if you like, a higher power, into our lives. Faith, to be sure, is necessary, but faith alone can avail nothing. Why is that? Can I just have faith? No, that's a relationship. Action, 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 right? We can have faith, yet keep God out of our lives. That's an important sentence right there. That might want to go up on the bathroom mirror. Therefore, our problem now becomes just how and by what specific means shall we be able to let him in? Having seen this illustration, you now kind of know what you need to do, right? Is you need to open that door right there where the will is blocking God from entering who you really are, your soul, right? This is deep, deep stuff. But it's all right here in the 12 and 12 in the big book. All that is is just a, 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 some concentric circles, <laughs> right? Illustrating what this is saying. It's really remarkable, this stuff written down, right? Okay, so, so I'm going I'm to move through. You're, you're going to really want to read step three, right? Um, it says, we, you know, we look around. We know that... Uh, a willingness has already happened because I'm here, right? That's already proof of a willingness. Um, and now, coming here, already a willingness has been achieved to cast out one's own will and one's own ideas. Should I do that? Should I do that? Da, 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 da. Right? Where we just get bound up into the swirl of like not understanding where I belong in God's tapestry. That means having no peace. Peace is that, is that momentary glimpse of knowing exactly where you are and it fits in God's tapestry perfectly. Already a willingness has been achieved. Thank you, God. Already a willingness 
has been achieved to cast out one's own will and one's own ideas about the alcohol problem in favor of those suggested by AA. Now, if this is not turning one's will and life over to a newfound providence, then what is it? Right? Let me read that. Already a willingness has been achieved. You've already shown a willingness. Because in all matters touching alcohol, we've all decided to turn our lives over to the care, protection, and guidance of Alcoholics Anonymous. We've already done that. That's why we're here. That's why, that's why <clears throat> pardon me, you're at a step study rather than a place that is going to pump your ego and hand you the mic, right? That you opted for this instead of that because you've already turned your will and your life over to the care of this simple program. And now it's just very little more to say, yeah, and, and already a willingness has been achieved to cast out my own will and my own thoughts and ideas about the alcohol problem. That's all you have to start with, is I just have to realize I know nothing about alcoholism. And just cast that out and let God handle it. And before you know it, you're casting it all away and letting God handling it all. That's what it says. It says you just need, and by the way, providence is a great word with a capital P. It means God, but it means a God that is omnipotent and watches out over everyone with a loving heart. That's, that's the definition of providence, right? I'm going to get down to this great word here. The more I depend on God, the less, the more independent I am, right? If you've been to jail... Even though you're dependent because you're there, there's nothing you can do and nowhere you can go. By them taking away all of your freedoms, you weirdly become independent. You don't have to think about when to get up or what to wear. You never have to set an alarm clock. You don't have to go shopping. You don't have to figure what you're going to eat or when you're going to eat it, what time you're going to bed. It's all done for you. Right? I talk to guys almost weekly in, in, in prisons. Say, man, if you're... But they come to hear the AA message. I don't have to go seek them out. The guys sitting in those chairs want to hear it. And say, man, if you're, if you're missing the opportunity to be completely independent during this, you're missing a big thing, that, a gift God's given you. Right? The more I know that I don't have to worry about world politics and wars and famines, that's not my calling. My calling is to help other alcoholics. That's what God has called me to do. That's what I am. The carpenter doesn't worry about the masonry, right, when building a house. The carpenter doesn't come in and start talking about what paints to use or how to carpet the floor or how to tile the roof. He's a carpenter, right? You and I, we are here to save the lives, to separate people from misery. Real quickly before I go, what a juggernaut is. <laughs> a juggernaut is a philosophy that we have that if I will just bombard things with more of my own thinking, that I will get my way. Sober a long time, sober, a brief time, or not sober at all, it all works the same way. 
We go, I know what I'll do, especially in things like relationship and financial disorders. I will just grab the bull by the horns. I don't know if you know this. Bulls do not like to be grabbed by the horns. And they will flip your butt over and stomp you to death. A good matador brings that bull full on, but he doesn't hit it straight on. He steps aside and lets the bull go by. That's humility. Whoosh. Right? The bull may come back, and he steps aside again. Now, if he doesn't do it right, he can die. (laughs) Humility is is not an easy thing to master. But that's what we're doing here, right? So it says this, this, this philosophy... How, how well does it work, the self-sufficient philosophy? Let's look around the world. How's it doing with, with leaders of countries ruining the countries? And I'm talking about other countries, right? Look at that. Look at world leaders or world uh, dictators. Look at the wars, the starvation. Look at global warming or not, or whatever side of the fence, crazy fence you think you're on. You know, all of that stuff. Is, it, is, is self-sufficiency working for them? Absolutely not. It's just destroying everything worse and worse. The only thing that works is this brotherhood, this harmonious fellowship, which is what we have here, right? So what is, it's a philosophy of self-sufficiency that's not paying off. Plainly enough, it is a bone-crushing juggernaut whose final achievement is ruined. The word juggernaut uh, comes from Hindu. Uh, origin. It comes from the god Vishnu, the great destroyer, which is again the Brahma creating and Vishnu destroying is the death and resurrection. And, and we see that, that sort of mythology in, in many, many religions. Certainly Christianity is one of them. And you know, that's kind of the fundamental idea of Christianity. But that's us. That's, our program is too. It's one day at a time, right? And we, we go to sleep, we die, we're reborn, we wake up, there's sunshine, we wake up. Right? I believe that's planned by God. Uh, you know, God could have put two suns that had been sunny all the time. And it had been great. Plants would have gone crazy. We'd had a great planet. But he wanted it this way. He wanted us to see this cool death and resurrection cycle, which is the seasons, which is everywhere in nature. Right? And that's what a juggernaut is. It's an, uh, 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 I wrote it down. A massive, inexorable force that crushes Whatever is in its path. (laughs) That's me, right? Here it is. So it is by circumstance rather than by any virtue that we have been driven to AA. Right? It's by circumstance, not by virtue, that I'm here. I'm here out of circumstance. It's, It's by circumstance and not virtue that I've admitted defeat that we've acquired the rudiments of faith and now want to make a decision to turn our will and our lives over to a higher power. It's by circumstance, not by virtue, that I'm turning my will over. It's because if I don't, I'm eventually going to die. I'll be dragged along the pavement back to step one, no matter how many steps I go through. It says after this step of action, the rest, we live for the rest of our lives. It says all the rest. So those who think you only have to go through once, good for you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read this, and like I say, I'm out of here. The alleged ninth step promises, <laughs> right, you know by heart. So let me read you the opposite 
if you choose not to do three, how nine will not come true, right? What's written in, in near there will not come true. It says here on page 39, it says that you will, he will be convinced that he has more problems than alcohol and that some of these refuse to be solved by all the sheer personal determination and courage he can muster. They simply will not budge. They make him desperately unhappy. You will know a new happiness. And threaten his newfound sobriety. Our friend is still victimized by remorse and guilt when he thinks of yesterday. You will not regret the past nor wish to shut the door. Bitterness still overpowers him when he broods upon those he still envies or hates. His financial insecurity worries him sick. Financial insecurity will not, fear of financial insecurity will not bother us. And panic takes over when he thinks of all the bridges to safety that alcohol burned behind him. And how shall he ever straighten out that awful jam that cost him the affection of his family and separated him from them? His lone courage and unaided will cannot do it. Notice it says unaided will, right? Because we're going to use our will. We have willingness. We're going to use our will is still in that doorway. Our will is just going to align with God's. So we do. We don't need law, right? That's another dilemma. We don't need law because we're going to do it anyway. Law doesn't apply to us. If you follow me, I'm saying that if my will and God will line up, I don't need to turn my life over to God because it's, it's my decision to do that anyway, right? There doesn't need to be a law against rape because I won't ever rape anybody. There doesn't need for me a law against stealing. I'm not going to steal. Or a law against murder. It, I don't care if there's a law against murder as far as I'm concerned. I may be concerned about you. <laughs> But right, I'm not, law does not apply to me, right? So being forced to do God's will doesn't make sense to me because my will is going to align up with God's anyway. That's the true decision. Does that make sense, right? We're dancing together. We're embraced. That's faith, being embraced, right? Okay, so if his lone courage and unaided will cannot do it, surely he must now depend upon somebody or something else, both with capital S's. Our whole trouble had been the misuse of willpower. The misuse of willpower. We had tried to bombard our problems with it instead of attempting to bring it into agreement with God's intention for us. Seems pretty easy now, yeah? All we need is the key of willingness. The door flies open by itself. says, here's the path. Start walking, baby. That's it. Once we've come into agreement with these ideas, it is really easy to begin the practice of step three. So when people go, this is a simple program, but it's not easy, read page 41 in the 12 and 12 where it says, it is really easy. <laughs> read the book, man, <laughs> mother man, mother man. 
Last thing it says is, in all times of emotional disturbance or indecision, we can pause, ask for quiet, and in the stillness simply say, God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and wisdom to know the difference, living one day at a time, enjoying one moment at a time, accepting hardship as a pathway to peace, taking, as Jesus did, this sinful world as it is, not as I would have it. Trusting that you will make all things right if I surrender to your will so that I may be reasonably happy in this life and supremely happy with you forever in the next. Amen. I'm Doc Alcoholic. See you next week. Please join me in thanking Doc one more time. And I would like to introduce Ryan. He is our secretary. Hey, I'm Ryan. I'm your recovered alcoholic secretary. Hey. Um, In keeping with the seventh tradition, which states that every group shall be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions, the baskets are now going around. And I've asked Steve to read the recovered statement. Um, We read this notice to explain why many people in this group identify as recovered rather than recovering and what it exactly means to be a recovered alcoholic. Hi, Steve. Recovered. We are not cured of alcoholism. Recovered but not cured. That presents a conflict to some alcoholics. If we were cured we would be able to drink responsibly. No, we're not cured. The allergic reaction to alcohol will remain with us for a lifetime, but we have been restored to sanity. That was the problem. The main problem of the alcoholic centers in his mind rather than in his body. We are now sane where alcohol is concerned. Consequently, we have recovered. Um, 1940s style big book sponsorship from forward to the second edition of Alcoholics Anonymous. Of alcoholics who came to AA and really tried, 50% got sober at once and remained that way. 25% sobered up after some relapses, and among the remainder, those who stayed on with AA showed improvement. What we've seen, felt, come to believe, and experienced is that God has not changed over time, and neither should the sacred approach back to his loving arms. The statistics above suggest a 75% success rate. Uh, Can I see a show of hands of recovered alcoholics? Nice. Um, Is there anyone in the room that needs a sponsor? If you could raise your hand. All right. Uh, If you're too shy to raise your hand to see any one of those people that just had theirs raised, and we'll help get you back to God. Um, Please join us Monday nights for our big book study meeting where the the book comes alive. Uh, Fellowship is at 6.30, and the big book study starts at 7.15. Um, We have some announcements. Uh, Broward County Intergroup, if you need medallions, literature, uh, there's information on their their hours and how to get in touch with them. Next. 
Uh, we got some volunteer opportunities. So um, the next planning meeting for the 57th Intergroup Appreciation Banquet is going to be on the 14th. Um, that's over. Uh, <laughs> um, so uh, BCIC, uh, so the monthly meetings that they have, the next one coming up is going to be February 8th. Are there any BCIC representatives with us tonight? Awesome. Can you stand, Tanisha? So if you need any information on that, you can all see Tanisha at the end. Um, awesome. A's Got Talent is coming up on the 1st. So if you had a really sick version of Wonderwall in treatment and you want to share it with the, wor with the world, uh, come check that out. We've also got Robert here with tickets. So if you're interested in getting some tickets for that, you can see him after the meeting. Um, the 57th Annual Intergroup Appreciation Banquet. Um, so... After all that planning from that meeting, uh, I want to save the date for this because it looks like it's going to be a good time. It's going to be April 25th. And we've got the Spring Fling Chili Cook-Off and Dinner. Um, that sounds pretty great. I don't know about you guys, but I like some chili. Um, so bring a newcomer, bring a dessert. It's going to be on Saturday, March 7th. And the Phi Kappa 2020 is the uh, June 5th through 7th. And then that's us. Awesome. Um, we have CDs, mugs, large print big books, little red books, and big book dictionaries for sale on the back, on the back table. So if you're interested in getting any of that, you can see any one of the home group members after the meeting. Um, also, we do accept, uh, like, swipe, like if you want to use a card, or uh, Venmo or Zelle. So, um, and also the same for uh, the voluntary, voluntary contributions. Um, we meet every Thursday starting promptly at 7.15. And we ask that you be courteous and ready to begin at the sound of the bells. Um, and last announcement, um, so the Boy Scouts are here tonight, um, and they're back on the patch. So let's just be supportive of them um, and just keep our smoking down buckets down here. Um, that'll be really helpful. Um, so that's all I've got. Thank you. I will see you next week. And uh, after the meeting, you, as Ryan said, we can make electronic contributions at the front of the, at the rear of the room. All right. We have all of our podcasts tonight and the previous at alcoholicsandgod.org. I'd like to invite everybody to our Monday night big book study. Those who wish to thank the speaker, please line up down the center aisle. Let's close seated with the Lord's Prayer. Our Father. Can do is keep on praying.
Shine, shine, shine. 
Chase, here's that song you've been asking me for for a million years. I finally pulled it out the pulled it out the corners of my mind, and um, here you go.
people sing along and stomp their feet and raise their arms. And here in this moment that we share, nothing could come song is. God bless. I love you, Mike Chase. Bye. I think you know this one, don't you?
steals my gold from me And I got one man that steals my dignity Got one man that just won't set me free Well, clap your hands if you leave me, chill 